0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to our Saturday broadcast. We're here today to once again answer questions relating to meditation practice and Buddhism. We're mainly looking for questions that are of practical importance
1: in regards to practicing in our tradition.
0: So, if you haven't read our booklet on how to meditate, you might want to start there. The links at the bottom of the page. We do have
2: courses in meditation practice. We have an at-home course that you can sign up for free of charge. Nothing we do ever costs money. Well, you never have to pay us anyway. But we also have an intensive course, but that requires you to pay money to get here. But once you're here, we'll. Give you a place to stay and food and teach you how to practice all free
0: but you have to do the at-home course first if possible so you can check all that out on our website and for those of you who have started practicing in this tradition we're taking questions and
1: until the end of the hour. We'll try to get through as many as we can. But to start, to give us some time
2: to collect questions, we do 15 minutes of meditation. It also gives us everyone a chance to sort of get in the the right frame of mind to ask the right questions. It also maybe filters out people who are here for entertainment purposes. They're sure to leave after 15 minutes of silence. So we'll be left with only really intent and sincere spiritual practitioners. If that's you, then stick around. Let's take 15 minutes to post your questions, compose your questions, and otherwise just practice mindfulness. You can do walking
0: or sitting or walking and sitting. We'll be back at quarter after. All right, we're back. So we'll start to answer questions now. It looks like we do have some questions, so ready to go. Okay, we do have questions.
1: Is it suboptimal if the ing on rising is sometimes partially
3: concurrent with the very beginning of the falling motion? seems unavoidable unless
0: I anticipate end of rising motion. Stretch the ing. The ing should be the end of the rising. So I'm
2: not sure how you make it part of the beginning of the falling. If you don't notice the end of the rising, or if you notice that you've missed the end of the rising, you can note that, say to yourself something like knowing, or you can just start on the falling. You shouldn't say ing when you notice the stomach is falling. You should start with falling. I mean,
0: if any time you notice something strange like this, you should just note the noticing, note the awareness. It seems like I have to meditate over three hours a day
3: to not feel depressed or neurotic, etc. Is this a potential sign of inefficient practice?
2: Well, I'm not sure how you're practicing but if you're looking for meditation to stop you from feeling depressed or neurotic you you may have to tweak that a little bit you have to be prepared to confront your depression and neuroses with inside of meditation now if you're doing that and you find that as a result of being mindful you're less depressed and less neurotic well that I mean that's the whole point of it so that's a good thing it's a sign that the practice is helpful I'm not again. I'm not sure if you're just suppressing, if you're just um, avoiding it, replacing it with pleasant feelings in your meditation, because there are meditations that do that instead of actually confronting
0: and dealing with the emotions. So make sure you're doing that. Sometimes it's not, I- it's not really about how many hours you do either. It's about how mindful you
2: are. So. That's why I kind of wonder about the whole three hours thing, because it's nothing to do with the hours. It's about the moments of mindfulness. Otherwise, it's just about concentration that prevents the arising of of your problems instead of actually dealing with them. So try and focus more on moments of mindfulness inside of meditation and outside of meditation. When
0: you do feel depressed and neurotic, try and be mindful of that outside of practice as well. Sometimes I feel in meditation as if my soul or some
3: energy inside me is getting pulled up. Like I feel as if I am miles above my body. Is this normal?
2: We're not concerned in meditation about what is normal. There's no such thing. I mean it wouldn't make any sense. What does what does it mean normal? The questions usually asked and we get this this exact question, is X normal? Is Y normal? Um there's a concern that, you, that you, A, you might be doing something wrong, B, what's happening to you might be dangerous, and C, it's kind of scary either way and, and worrying because the things that you don't expect are, are often uh, unsettling. But that's a sign of impermanence when things that you don't expect to happen happen. So that's to be expected in meditation. It's to be expected that you experience things you didn't expect, that you're taken off guard, thrown off balance, and forced to become more flexible as far as what something feels it's important you be careful not to interpret things as feeling like this or like that if you get a sense that some feeling x feels like something else you should note that both the feeling and the perception of it like thinking or or perceiving even but you know just you can just notice the feeling try and stick with just feeling is just a feeling it's not as if x y or z is happening it's just a feeling So just try and just note it as that. If if you
0: like it, you can note liking. If you dislike it or worried about it, you can note that as well. How do I deal with anxiety about meditating? I'm a naturally anxious
3: person, and sometimes during meditation, my mind tells me if I keep meditating, it will make me go crazy. Is that even possible?
0: Meditation deals with the mind, and so there are ways to
2: modify the mind to, yes, drive you crazy, so it is certainly possible. But but those ways are not the practice of mindfulness, so as long as you're practicing mindfulness, that's not the way to drive yourself crazy. Just make sure you're actually practicing mindfulness, it's important you can for example read our booklet and and make sure you're following according to actually what it says instead of making up or improvising or so on that you understand the difference between concepts and reality and so on um but how to deal with anxiety about meditating it's the same as dealing with any kind of anxiety i mean that's the nature of being an anxious person you're going to get anxious about everything including meditation which is for the purpose of overcoming anxiety well you'll get anxious about that as well it's not because of the meditation, it's because of your tendency to get anxious. And that's okay, that's just you know, the the reality of your situation, and that's what you're trying to confront and deal with. So just be patient with it when you are anxious, even about meditation, you deal with it just like you deal with any other anxiety, by confronting it, noting it, noting the um, byproducts of anxiety, the physical manifestations of it as feelings and tension and pain and, and whatever else might arise. You're not a naturally anxious person, you've cultivated uh, anxious habits is really the best way to look at it, and so through mindfulness you can change those habits. It's important not to think of yourself as naturally anything, it's just an artificial construct,
0: just habits of behavior. They can span lifetimes even, so it's something you can inherit from past lives. Will my laziness and apathy subside if I focus on the
1: sensation while noting lazy, lazy, lazy?
0: If you're focusing on the sensation, it's
2: just a self-feeling. You should note tired or drowsy or so on. Lazy isn't really a thing. Lazy involves greed and anger and delusion. So it's important to note those. Maybe there's a a liking of lying down, for example, a liking of lounging around, an aversion to things that you don't like, like work and so on. And so we call that lazy, but it's just liking and aversion mostly, and delusion, which can be worry, which can be doubt, which can be confusion, which can be just darkness and ignorance and lack of uh, motivation, for example. But uh, sensations are usually drowsiness or... Fatigue or or stiffness in the mind and that sort of thing. The sensations are the stiffness in the body, in fact. So, just not the most feeling. Feeling. As far as wanting something to, it's important that you don't go into the practice with the intent to make things subside. It's important to go in with the intent of learning and understanding, because that's what changes your habits and causes bad habits to fade away. Not wanting things
0: to go away or wanting to fix things. That won't help. I can't think
1: and be aware at the same time. So if I mentally note rising during
3: the whole rising, I can only be aware of words. How do I do this? Seems like I can only be aware if I don't think of words at the same time.
2: Well, the words come right after the awareness. So you're aware of the beginning and you say rise. And you're aware of the end, and you say
0: ing. And then same with the falling. I mean, what it seems to you is
1: probably just
2: overthinking it. It's important that you note that. I mean, it's it's a challenge in the beginning, especially because the mind likes to analyze and worry and so on. So note how, how, how hard the mind makes it, how the mind is trying to
0: analyze and so on whatever it seems like, just note how it seems and and how you react to that and so on. Mindfulness gives
1: meditators sharp mind and wisdom. Do scientists, inventors, and politicians also have mindfulness, or do they have to think a lot to have
0: the best minds? But it, it, I mean, mindfulness doesn't give you all those things that scientists, adventurers
2: I'm not sure about politicians, but scientists and inventors anyway, um, to, to give them the, the good qualities, like how a, um, a savant might be able to um, compose symphonies at five years old or something like that, how an inventor might be able to you know, they have they have very positive qualities of mind. Someone with a, a photographic memory or very good memory, or that sort of thing. It's not exactly related to what we call mindfulness, though there is the actual Abhidhamma definition of mindfulness involved there. I mean, it's often much more related to wholesome um, worldly practices, like if someone was um, very inquisitive. It said that you you have greater wisdom if you're very inquisitive. So asking lots of questions is apparently a good way
0: to gain uh, wisdom in the next life. What advice could you give someone who lucid dreams very frequently
3: and wakes up exhausted as if they have just lived another life? Sleeping less doesn't help because that person will dream within.
2: Well, mindfulness decreases the frequency of dreams. So if you're mindful, you'll find that it works itself out. It's it's common actually in the beginning to dream a little bit more as your mind kind of opens up to some of your bad habits uh, or, or some of the emotions and so on. Uh, and But that all works itself out and all of your trauma gets resolved. And so as a result, there's far less
0: waking and and as a result far less need need for far less sleep can you touch on step 12 of anapanasati called gladdening the
3: mind and please elaborate on how to practice it
2: so what i teach isn't
0: that sort of practice you'd have to find someone who teaches it Now I
1: am full of sensations, but no equanimity, and when I watch the sensations,
3: they are always intense. I can't use breath as it triggers migraines. How do I get over this state and feel motivated?
2: Well, I don't know if you've read our booklet on how to practice. It sounds like you may not have, but I'd recommend reading it. Um, as far as not being able to use breath, because it, use any any object because it triggers migraines, well, if you read the booklet, you'll see. you'll hopefully come to see that Um, That's not really an excuse. Um, We don't precisely use the breath. We use the stomach, which is related to the breath, but it's it's actually mindfulness of the body. But as far as the arising of migraines, that's not a reason to stop doing something. That's just a reason to be mindful of the migraine. And so if you read our booklet, you'll learn how to be mindful of the pain. It's not actually a migraine. That's just a label we give it. The true reality is an experience of pain and it can be acute and I'm not trying to trivialize it, but it is possible to be mindful of that and if you're mindful you'll start to see you start to see improvements. It can take time and you have to be patient and not go into it uh, fixating on some kind of improvement. You have to focus on just facing and confronting and observing and learning about both
0: your experiences and your reactions to them. Today's society expects us to
3: indulge in sensual pleasures and to achieve worldly success. How does one
0: deal with this? Deal with society's expectations. Hmm. Well, I mean, of
2: course, ultimately leave society, but there are ways to minimize, minimize sorry, minimize your interactions with society. Live a simple life. Find a way to make a livelihood without ambition. Life is not easy. There's no avoiding that. So find a way
0: to make it work with your meditation practice. Can meditation or the theory of
1: Buddhism help me with paranoia?
2: Yes, paranoia is just a habit take paranoid schizophrenia which is of course i guess the the probably the worst sort of paranoia but um, a schizophrenic has hallucinations auditory or visual or or, or just thoughts and uh, the thoughts are not actually the paranoia you might have a thought that appears to be paranoia but it's the thought triggering the paranoia triggering the fear right the worry the stress Uh, But those are two separate things, and if you can learn to react differently to the thoughts, to the sounds, to the visions, whatever, um, then you can free yourself from that habit. You just change your habits. Paranoia is just another habit. So even a schizophrenic, I, I, I think, in theory, can change their habits. It's just hard because of how acute they are. It just takes patience and practice and a commitment to facing rather
0: than avoiding and facing rather than reacting to your experiences. Learning from books and talks, I think I have understood and can live as the
3: Dhamma, away from sensual desires. But I keep failing. I took one vacation and found enjoying myself a lot, unmindful. Do you have any advice?
2: Well, try being mindful when you enjoy yourself. When you like something, try and note that. When you're enjoying yourself, try and note that. I mean, it's not easy and it's not something that you're just going to immediately be good at. Um, seeing that you are unmindful is just uh, it's the next the step before admitting to yourself that you're not very good at mindfulness, which is it's important to admit and it's it's most likely the truth and it's just a sign that you need more practice. So you practice more, try and be mindful rather than thinking that you shouldn't enjoy or you shouldn't uh, indulge. Try and be mindful of your indulgence, mindful of your, of your enjoyment, and you can learn something. It's a long path, especially when you're
0: not living in a forest as a monastic. I want to fully believe in
1: Buddhist practices, but I am having trouble understanding how karma is not simply
3: blind faith. Can you help me understand?
2: Well, karma is a word that means action. So in Buddhism, it means that our... Uh, States of mind or qualities of mind when we do things make those acts uh, ethically charged. So if you act or speak with an impure mind, suffering follows you. And that's considered to be a law. And lo and behold, when you practice mindfulness, you see that it's the case that there's no avoiding the suffering that comes from unwholesome mind states. That's karma. It's not something magical or mystical or mysterious. And Nothing to do with blind faith. I mean, you can take it on blind faith, but it would be
0: much better if you just practiced a little bit of mindfulness and saw it for yourself. How do we help ourselves not react so strongly to thoughts that provoke us?
3: I notice when I react to thoughts, but the compulsion to react is so strong that I find myself reacting even when I'm aware of it.
2: So our practice is not about stopping ourselves from reacting and that's what you have to understand it's about doing what you're doing and seeing how you react seeing the results of your reaction it's about learning why we call this practice vipassana because it literally means to see clearly one important thing that you're seeing is that you're not in charge you're not in control habits are not you doing something deciding and methodically carrying out it's happening by itself a result of bad uh, past inclinations and there's nothing you can do about that you can't stop it all you can do is learn about it and when you learn about it you're less inclined to perpetuate those habits in the future as a result they change mindfulness is a different habit as a result of cultivating mindfulness you're more inclined to be mindful in the future it's just about i mean it's quite that quite simple it's just about the cultivation and um, whatever the opposite of cultivation is, the,
0: the abandonment of bad habits. How do we not judge thoughts as good or bad?
2: Well, exactly by what we do. That's the point, is that judgment happens right after you experience something, so we replace that judgment with a... Uh, reification or a a affirmation reaffirmation not this is bad this is good but this is this if it's pain it's pain if it's thinking it's thinking if it's seeing it's seeing that's what the mantra is for it's the whole point so it's a good question
0: and it's a good way of pointing out why we do what we do as far as i understand
1: this is mahasi tradition I would like to continue practicing samatha,
2: but also to explore this tradition. Can I do both? Sure, I wouldn't recommend doing both at once. Um, But yeah, samatha can, can be a good base to help you with cultivating vipassana.
0: It's just you have to eventually switch to practicing vipassana. When I note the touching, I am aware of the object as it is,
3: but right after there is the image that my mind uses to recognize the object. Should I note this also? Is it defilement, a need for security?
2: We don't try and determine what things are like don't don't fall into that trap of asking what something is. It's an image, so that's all it is. Keep it simple. Seeing is just seeing when you see an image say seeing, seeing. If there is a reaction to it, I mean, you'll see that when you say seeing. You'll see how you're judging it, if you like it or dislike it.
0: You can note that as well. And those are the defilements, the liking and the disliking. Worry, whatever might be there. The rising and falling seem fluid without
3: any pause between. So I can't fit the ing on rising in before the
1: beginning of the falling. This may be too obsessive.
0: I mean that really doesn't make any sense
2: they aren't fluid first of all but it, it's hard to see the distinction between one and the other and that's fine but there is an ending of one and the start of the other I mean there's not a spot in between where it might be rising and might be falling right it's either rising or, or it's falling and we know that because they're very different experiences rise what we call rising isn't just falling in the other direction right falling isn't just rising in the opposite direction Rising is a tensing. It's a di- completely different feeling than the relaxation of falling, the release of falling. I mean, that's why rising and falling are not great words, because they don't encapsulate what's actually happening. It's more like a tensing and releasing, or an inflating or a defla- and deflating, expanding and contracting. Um, but there's no fitting it in between. Ing is just the end of the rising. When you notice the end of the rising, rising. I mean, it might take a little bit of practice, but if something's going wrong like you're suggesting, you just have to note that and note any worry about it, any disliking about it, because that sort of obsession will perpetuate the inability to see what's actually happening. So note any reactions you might have. It's common, again, it's just bad habits. It's our way of reacting to anything. We overanalyze it, we worry about it, we get frustrated about it. It's just how we react to our experiences, and that's part of what we're trying to see. Remember, there's nothing special about the rising and falling. In fact, noting the rising and falling is for the purpose of showing you these sorts of habits of how you react, how you worry about rising and falling, how you overanalyze it, how you dislike it, and so whatever might arise. That's what we're, and it's important to see. It's important to change so that you have better reactions to things. Just focusing on the rising and be
1: able to take it at face value. This is rising, this is falling, is uh, the whole point.
0: It's just a better habit. How does one deal with intense sensations
3: all over the body when they are overwhelming?
2: If anything is overwhelming, you can note overwhelmed, overwhelmed. That's sort of a stopgap measure. Eventually you can start to note more meticulously if there's liking or disliking. And eventually you can just note the sensations when there is no liking or disliking or worry or anything. Just note feeling, feeling. I mean, it doesn't really mean anything to say that something is overwhelming, because the only way that can be true is if it kills you, I suppose, or drives you insane, I'm
0: not sure. But um, the feeling of being overwhelmed, you can note that, it's also okay. Why does samsara exist? Samsara doesn't exist. All that exists is experiences. They arise and they cease. I know that's a cop-out. I'm not going to answer your question.
1: In work and daily life, in general, is it advisable to be
3: passive or to go with the flow of things more instead of trying to manipulate or control situations etc even if it's somewhat affected
2: it's important to be mindful and you're going to fail at that quite often in the beginning so you just have to practice at it and when you're mindful the right the right decisions will come to you more clear more more quickly and more often and when you make the wrong decisions you'll know why You'll know that they were and why they were the wrong decisions. You'll start to see that decision-making isn't so important. Much more important is the quality of mind when you make decisions. So it's not so important what you decide, A or B, do or don't. What's much more important is the quality of mind. You'll start to focus more on that and just act based on whatever seems reasonable. Reasonable is a good word to keep in mind. Try and figure out what, uh, do what, what seems most reasonable
0: and find a way to be clearly aware of what is reasonable through the practice of mindfulness. Is it possible to study mindfully as one is reading?
3: It's not possible. Note, reading, cause the mind is occupied with the study material.
2: Yeah, be careful of your grammar when you write these questions out. It's important that you write your questions out clearly and, and properly. It shows mindfulness. Be careful. Consider this an important thing. When you write out a question, this is a really big deal. This isn't casual conversation. Again, of course, some people's grammar is not so good, and that's fine. We We, we have different levels of education, and there's no shame there. Different levels of English comprehension. But do be careful to include words like is... Or two, here we have missing two. It's not possible two-note reading because the mind is occupied with the study material. Um, So studying is a mental activity, and because it's a mental activity, that's your mental activity. You can take breaks to be mindful. You You can check and notice your reactions. You'll often be triggered to be mindful when you react to something, if you get frustrated or bored or craving for something, that can be an opportunity to be mindful. Um, But, yeah, not actually at the moment when you're studying. Because, as you say, your
0: mind is occupied. Well, you can't do two mental activities at once. Will I be able to feel the uniform, subtle sensations throughout the body with the
3: Mahasi method?
2: You'll be able to feel whatever sensations are there there's no such thing as uniform subtle sensations throughout the body though there might be an experience of that depending on the the quality of the mind depending on the state of mind and the state of the body but to try and find some i mean there's even an implication in your question that such a thing is always there and we just have to be able to feel it as you say the uniform subtle sensations you'll be able to feel uniform subtle sensations if they exist in the body at a given moment but such sensations like any sensations will come and go and will change i mean the, the makeup will change so there will be new sensations that are not subtle or not uniform there's nothing special about some uniform subtle sensations and that's important for you to understand whether and the buddha was very clear about this whether subtle or coarse. You're aware of whatever you experience and apply mindfulness to that. So it's important that you be flexible and focus on whatever experiences arise. If you're seeking out some specific makeup of of sensations, you're not practicing vipassana.
0: You're seeking something. That's not what it's about. how can a westerner become a monk what steps do you need to take well i mean really the simple answer is you have to undergo a ceremony with
2: uh, someone who agrees to ordain you that's about it it's pretty simple i can't give you more advice because of course it's going to depend where you go but it's basically it there's a ceremony and poof you're a monk I mean, there's a little bit more to it because there's some requirements in order to be able to take the ceremony. You need someone to ordain you. You need robes and a bowl. You need your parents' permission. You need to be human. You need to be in good health and that
0: sort of thing. But that's all technical stuff. I mean, you can find out all that on the internet. How does one approach cravings? Well, I don't know if you read our booklet, but that's where I'd recommend to start. I mean, craving is the cause of suffering.
2: It's really the whole focus in Buddhism on how to be free from suffering, and so therefore how to abandon the cause of suffering, which is craving. So read our booklet on how to meditate. You can do the at-home course. You can do an intensive
0: course once you've done that, and you'll be able to answer that question, how to approach cravings. You'll have my answer anyway. Maybe there, I mean, of course, there are other traditions that have other answers, but this is our answer how to approach it. Does making a determination help you achieve mundane things? It can, yes. Of course, because determination is a positive quality that helps you focus and helps you.
2: Encourage how it helps you you create the encouragement to do something.
0: It has a lot of positive benefits. It's called one of the it's one of the ten paramis. I had a tooth pain when I started meditation. One
3: hour into meditation, the pain was gone. Was that probably because I forgot about the tooth pain? Or was it the power of meditation?
2: I don't, again, I don't know how, as, as usual, I don't know how you're practicing. And there are meditations that allow you to um, not experience pain that you'd otherwise experience. But in our practice, it's not quite like, not really like that at all. So, I mean, most likely the pain just went away. I mean, pain is not permanent, and so it's probably going to come back. Um, But again, there are states of meditation you can get into where you don't feel bodily pain that you normally would otherwise. And that's quite possible that you got into one uh, one of those situations, one of those states. And it's not the point of our practice, so I'd encourage you to try to face the pain and watch it come and go
0: and see how you react to it and all that. How does one approach and deal with cravings to watch pornography?
2: Same as any other craving. You don't try to get rid of it. You try to be mindful of it. Uh, when you do watch pornography, it would be mindful seeing, seeing, liking, any physical sensations that arise. And of course, there's what comes from watching pornography, the sexual acts and so on. When you, if you engage in those, be mindful of them as well you'll find that it does um, change your perspective on things i mean you're you're much more objective and it's actually hard to become attracted to anything you become much more peaceful much more content much less wanting and craving it takes practice but i mean it's important to unravel the whole guilt and fear and self-hatred and shame and and so on that prevents you from seeing it objectively you do have to overcome, you have to be mindful of those as well. If the disliking and the self-hatred or whatever might arise. Uh, the hatred of your own cravings, because it's it's hypocritical. I mean, it's not honest. You like it, That you like the craving, you like, you enjoy the experience. So then to hate yourself and to get angry at yourself, it's just a defense mechanism and it covers up. It, 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 it um, alleviates the feeling of some need to do something about it. Because you've done something about it. You've hated yourself. You've gotten angry. You've scolded yourself over it. It's like a parent when they hit their kids while they I've dealt with it. And you haven't dealt with it. You haven't done anything to approach the root problem. So you have to note those things as well. And then eventually come to terms with it to where you're actually just being objective and like watching, like you're watching yourself watch pornography. Watch yourself watch it yeah, by being mindful. And you'll learn a lot, and you'll free yourself from it. I mean, it takes time and effort. And and of course, eventually, once you're better at it, you do want to give it up. And uh, learn to be mindful with the cravings without indulging.
0: You'll have much better results as you start to move away from it. I'm not living in reality when playing video games and wish
3: I was with others in the real world, sadly. I have no friends near. I'm mindful of this, but if I don't play, I'm lost. What do you suggest?
2: I suggest reading our booklet on how to meditate, doing our at-home course, and then eventually doing an intensive course.
0: You'll find that benefits you greatly. That's what I would say. i am a simple graduate unemployed non-native englishman
1: non-vegetarian and 34 years old can i learn and adapt this program for a peaceful life
2: non-native english man i'm not quite sure what that means um but no none of those things you say none of those none of those things you describe yourself as have any bearing on meditation practice So. You know, if you were, if you were um, a kindergarten, six-year-old, um, didn't speak English, and 95 years old, those are the sorts of things that might cause issues. But you sound like you're in pretty good shape to practice. You don't have to be vegetarian. That's, uh, I mean, at our center, we do only offer vegetarian food, but that's simply because a lot of people who come are vegetarian, and it's just simpler. We are not strictly, we are not tied to vegetarianism, so you just have to understand if you ever came to do an intensive course at our center, you'd, you'd have to adapt. I mean, I don't think there's anybody who, because you're non-vegetarian, I don't think that means you could not survive for 15 days on a vegetarian lifestyle. I'm pretty sure
0: our food is nourishing enough to keep you alive and, and so you're not going crazy. But uh, yeah, check out our booklet, Read read the booklet, do the at-home course, see how it goes. You are noting an object. If another experience pops up, should you start noting the new experience or should you keep noting the current object until it disappears? so yeah if the object you're noting is one of
2: those things that you normally react to it can be useful to stay with it until it goes away there's no hard and fast rule here you know sort of there's a little bit of leeway there to experiment and see what works but we do we discourage what we discourage is jumping around from one object to another so if the old object is still there it does make sense generally to stay with it until it goes away now if it's the kind of object that won't go away or the kind of object that, that just doesn't have any interest to you, like it's just sound in the background or something, then you can just ignore it. We tend to recommend going back to the rising and falling as soon as something disappears. But if your mind jumps to something else, you can note it and
0: try when it goes away, try to go back to the rising and falling. And making a determination be a substitute for insight meditation? Why
2: would you think that anything can be a substitute for something else in that way? That doesn't make any sense. Insight meditation is a thing. Making a determination is another thing. Um, I mean, could you substitute? Of course. You're welcome to do whatever you want in the whole wide world. The world is your oyster, so you can substitute whatever you want. But what you're suggesting is, instead of practicing insight meditation, to become enlightened, could I instead make a determination and as a result get the same results as insight meditation? Because the two things are inherently very different, the results, it would be very strange to think that the results would be in any way the same. So if insight meditation is that which leads to enlightenment, then making a determination cannot be that which leads to enlightenment. And moreover, nothing else really could unless it's exactly insight meditation. It's not just magic like that where you can... I mean, that's not how cause and effect work. The cause of a determination is
0: something. The cause of insight meditation is obviously something else because they are different activities. Does mindful meditation take you to the various attainments that
3: are mentioned, such as sotapanna, etc., and finally attain Nibbana?
2: Oh yes, it absolutely does. This is the one way, this is the direct path to purification of beings. The Buddha said at the end of the Satipatthana Sutta, if you practice mindfulness, According to the Sutta, for seven years, you're guaranteed to either become an arahant or an anagami. And then he said, put aside seven years, six years, five years, four years, three years, two years, one year, eleven months, 12, 11 months, ten months, nine months, one month, one week. If you practice for one week, like this, the this Buddha was saying basically, if you're actually so skilled at it that you do it for one week that's all it would take to become an arahant but it's not just quite that simple you'd have to be in a position to be that skilled at it you would have to have a very pure mind to be able to pick it up that easily For most of us it takes a long time to really commit ourselves
0: to that week of practice it can take lifetimes I try my best to incorporate the simple life without
3: passions and attachment. However, I am realizing I'm too attached and kind of afraid to let go of the usual way of my conventional self.
2: How do I move on? Well, don't move on. Focus on the attachment when you realize you're attached. Instead of trying, I mean, trying to some extent is good, but don't make trying out to be a worrying or an anxiety or a stressing about it when you are attached instead as i said before try and observe it and learn about it learn about your attachments rather than expecting that you should give them up or wishing you could give them up or being conflicted about giving them up practice is not about giving anything up practice is about seeing clearly when you see clearly it's not even a question of giving up you just don't cling in the first place you just don't crave in the first place wisdom so there's no such thing really as letting go we say it we say letting go but it actually the truth
1: is just not clinging in the first place because it's not you realize you've learned that it's not
0: worth clinging to is mantra meditation the same as how we chant mantras
3: a few hundred times for deities so that they grant our wishes as it is done in hindu tradition Mm
2: So it's different in two ways, I guess. I mean, it's different because the object is different. Um, and it's different because of the, uh, the the mindset. So rather than trying to be mindful, you're wishing for something. You're saying it every time you say it, it's with a desire for a result. So it's actually bad karma because it's craving. Every time you say the mantra wishing for a result, it's... Uh, Increasing your attachment. But uh, the similarity is yes, the mantra focuses your attention. It does keep a sort of purity of mind, a purity in the sense of um, unadulterated, not mixed with anything else, unmixed. So purely focused on the object. But yeah, those are two important differences. In mindfulness, we are not wishing for the thing to stay or go. Or something else to come we are using it as a reminder that this is this to keep us from reacting to change our habits to cultivate the habit of clarity and our object is ordinary mundane experience and that's important because you'll if it's if you are focused on a concept you'll never see the sorts of things that you'll see by focusing on ultimate reality that's the the crucial difference between samatha and vipassana it's not really the technique at all it's the object if you're focused and practicing mantra meditation on a ultimate on ultimate reality in general you'll see impermanent suffering and non-self you'll just see it because it's inherent in reality if you're focused on a concept you will not ever ever see those
1: three things because concepts are not impermanent suffering or non-self
0: I suppose they're still non-self, but you won't see that. I don't even know if you could say they're non-self. They just don't exist, is the point. So, Because they're not real, they're stable, satisfying, and controllable. That's how you perceive them. Thank you, Bhante. That's
1: all the questions we're prepared to ask today.
0: Okay, well, thank you everyone for your questions.
2: Good to see people still coming out with good questions. Thank you, Jim and Chris. No, who was here? Jim Jim? and I, yes. Uh, Jim and Chris today for your help.
0: Have a good week, everyone. Wish you all peace, happiness, and freedom from suffering. Sadhu. Sadhu.